You've tuned into a mega church. We are a people hungry to encounter God through worship and His Word, being witnesses to the world around us. We pray this teaching blesses you and trust God will reveal Himself to you in a new way today. And if you need prayer for healing or breakthrough, or to find out more about Omega, head to our website or Facebook page through the links below. That's cool, isn't it? Now this, this is instrument is called shopar. Shopar is made from a ram's horn or some other animal's horn. And the long horn is treated and done all kinds of things and ultimately they put some mouthpiece from through which you force the air out and blows the sound. Now in Israel, they have used shopar sound for different kinds of uh, different kind of purposes, and uh, particularly, they also had trumpets made out of silver. They, when Moses during the time of Moses, he got two silver trumpets made. When only one trumpet is blasted, it is a call for the leaders to gather. Imagine two million people scattered all over the people. How are you going to call each one? So they have this trumpet and the Levites will go blowing it through the camp, walk around, and whoever hears it, they know, oh, this is a call for leaders to gather at the temple to near the tabernacle. So all the leaders will come. But when two people walk along and with two trump trumpets in their mouth and they blow the two silver trumpet, then it is a call for the whole of Israel to gather at the temple. You'll see it all in Numbers. Uh, the instructions about how to blow it, what will happen, all those kind of things you'll see it in the book of uh, Numbers. So the purpose of me showing you this small clip about the trumpet seas, um, we are the trumpet of God. Say, let's, let's all say, I am a trumpet of God. Give a high five to your neighbor and tell him, you are a trumpet of God. What does trumpet do? Trumpet is communicating some message. By the sound, it is communicating a message. So my question is, what is your life telling somebody when they look at you, when they talk to you, when they sit with you, when they walk with you? When they play with you, what is the message that you are proclaiming through your life if you are a trumpet of God? And when, uh, they have certain kind of trumpet sounds, like you heard on the long blast, then you heard a short ones, paper being, paper being short ones. Now the short one, when it is used with a ram's horn, uh, ram's horn the short shofar sound, it is when the battle is going on, when the enemy is attacking the nation, they will blow the trumpet, the horn. And when they hear the horn sound, they will know that they have to grab whatever they have in the house. They have a sword, they have a knife, they have a javelin, whatever they have got, they pick it up and come out because they hear the sound, that the sound of the war. And there's an indication for them that they must rise up with the weapons in their hand and come out to fight the enemy. Now the next question is, if the enemy is coming and you blow the long blast, are the people going to come out with weapons in their hand? No, because it is peaceful gathering, only for the leaders. 
Or if two trumpets were blown, then is everybody going to come with their swords in their hand? No. Because that trumpet sound means you gather for worship. If it is war, it is peace, everything should be clear through the sound. If the sound is wrong, people will get a wrong message. Is it clear? So Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 18. And he says, if the trumpet sounds a muffled call, who will prepare for the battle? If the trumpet sounds a muffled call, who will prepare for the battle? If you want people to get ready for battle, then you have to blow that short sound through the trumpet, which will indicate to them that the enemy is coming to attack. Enemy is coming to attack. In these last days, in this love, we are living in the last days. The trumpet call is the message of the prophet. The trumpet call is the message of the Bible. And that Bible tells you that the end times is here. What is the message? End times is here. Give me a second. I've lost my scripture. Joel, chapter 2. Yep. So the verse 1, chapter 2 says, Blow the trumpet in Zion. Blow the trumpet in Zion. You see the same kind of words again in C in verse 6 at the side, um, sorry, in verse 15. Blow the trumpet in Zion again in verse 15. So you want to divide this chapter uh, 2 verses 1 to 17 into two big portions. You go with these two <coughs> repeated words. Blow the trumpet in Zion. So why is the prophet saying blow the trumpet in Zion? The trumpet here in actually, if you, if you read the same verse in Septuagint, that is a Greek translation, it says, trumpet, trumpet. Trumpet, trumpet. So trumpet, trumpet is that you use the trumpet and make the sound, trumpet, trumpet. And um, when you use the blow the trumpet, you, uh, the, 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 the word used in the Septuagint is similar to the word that you use for the gospel. Preaching the gospel, kerygma, keriso, is the Greek word used in the, in the Old Testament. And from that same word, in the New Testament, we have the kerygma, the, the proclamation, the gospel is there. So what you should trumpet now is not about the war, it should be about the gospel of Christ. It has to come out so clear that people will not mistake what they're hearing. There has to be clarity of the gospel. It has to be so clear when you speak about Jesus, they should understand. That's how we need to live in these days. And uh, it says, sound the alarm on my holy hill. Sound the alarm. It is like a trumpet blast. Sound the alarm is basically saying, like a trumpet blast, make the sound on my holy hill. Now, the holy hill, when you see the word holy hill, it is that um, Al-Aqsa Mosque that is there in Jerusalem with the golden dome. Is a, that is the, that's the place. So that's where, very close to that is the, uh, the temple built by Solomon was there. But now you don't have any trace of it. So historians are working hardly and very hard to find out uh, where was the temple in that place. That, tem the, that particular thing is called uh, Temple Mount. 
and uh, people are fighting over it. Uh, the Palestinians and uh, Israelis are always wanting to take control of their place. So there's a big fight about it. And that will be the one that is going to trigger the Third World War, if possible, that small place. You may be living in New Zealand, but you will be entering into the war because they want to have the control of the place. Now, when the trumpet blast is happening, that trumpet blast says that sound is like the war sound. What will happen to the people, common people? They will begin to tremble. Why? Who likes war? Anybody who likes war? <laughs> Where's the physical war? Nobody likes it because people are going to die. There's going to be consequences. Right now, two countries are fighting and then it is impacting the whole world. If the whole world is in turmoil and the whole world is fighting, what's going to happen? So the trumpet blast when it is for the war, it is, this, this one is sounded in, in Jerusalem. Let all who live in the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. It is close at hand. It's very, very near. It's very, very near. I tell you, when these words are written in 850 B.C., let's say, about that time, 850 B.C., that's more than a thousand years into the Old Testament time and 2,000 years into the New Testament time. That is, it is written more than 3,000 years old saying. He says it is at hand. And Jesus comes on the scene and you have got John the Baptist and he says the kingdom of God is at hand. And John the Apostle says, his coming is at hand. What is at hand business? It simply means it is very close by. It's very, very close. So when they say it is very close, 3,000 years are over. But do we still have 3,000 years again when you say it is at hand? No. We have entered into the end of the end times. Look at, open your eyes and look at the whole scene in the world. And you know that there are earthquakes. And you know that uh, tsunamis are coming. And you know that uh, storms are coming. And you know everyday news. Everyday news. People are fighting each other. Destroying each other. It's impacting the economy. Impacting everything. The international travel. Everything is being impacted. And we have entered the end of the end times. We don't have another hundred years. It is, it is at hand. It is going to appear very soon. And you are hearing the blast of the war now in the name of Jesus, I'm declaring to you. You are hearing the blast of the trumpet. You need to tremble. You need to be afraid. You need to learn to live, how to live in these end times. How to live in these end times. What he was saying, Joel, here we have looked at it in chapter 1. When we studied at chapter 1, we talked about different kinds of locusts. Four different kinds of locusts have come and destroyed and eaten up everything green. There's no grass is left, no plant is left, no tree is left. Everything is destroyed for four consecutive years. And he says, the day of the Lord, it looked to him like day of the Lord is at hand. Now, every time when the human race goes through a crisis, they think the world is at hand, I mean, coming to an end. Every time. Whether it's the black plague, whether it's COVID, whatever, people are alarmed and say, we are going to die. The whole human race is going to be wiped out. That was what we thought two years ago when the COVID initially started off. It is really at hand. It is close by. But we need to learn how to live in these times. Second thing, in the scripture, you have the locusts. 
invading and destroying the people, crops, everything. The first big one that you have the recorded in the scripture is during the time of Pharaoh in Egypt, when he was not letting the Israelites go. Moses said, you guys are not letting us go. Now God is going to punish you and send you a locust. So when the locust invaded, it was, a, it, was, it was something so supernaturally, so humongously big. It was never was like that any time experienced by human race. Never was ex going to be experienced in the future. It is such a big, massive locust invasion happened during Pharaoh's time. So what does it mean? That means the locust invasion that Joel is talking about is not as big as the one experienced by the Egyptians. Because he said, no, it is never going to happen again. This is the biggest one. That means it's lower than that, less than that. Still, it is big. It's big enough to shake anybody's faith. It's big enough to shake anybody and put fear in their heart. Is it over? Is there going to be one more locust? It's coming. One more is coming. It's talked about in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, you see it in chapter 9. Yeah, Revelation chapter 9. They don't, uh, those locusts when they come, these locusts, they don't chew on plants. They don't chew on the trees or any other growth, but will sting like scorpions. And the sting will last for six months. One sting of this locust is going to last for six months. And it's very selective. It's not going to sting everybody, but it's going to sting only those who do not have mark of God on their forehead. It will sting only those who don't have the mark of God on their forehead. How can you receive the mark of God so that you can avoid the sting, the coming sting of the locust? By believing in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And when you believe in Jesus, whatever calamity that is going to come in the, in the future, God will deliver you. Why will he deliver you? Because God loves you and he will, when you put your faith in him, he will put that mark on your forehead. And that locust, when it comes to sting, when it sees the mark on your forehead, it will not sting you. It will go and sting the next person who doesn't have the mark. Is there something to rejoice when I'm talking about it? You are happy, say amen. amen. A strong one. Amen. So we need to receive that mark of mark by faith in Jesus Christ. And then you will be delivered from this thing. And this is how you need to receive the seal. Whatever the plague be, it is the one which cannot injure God's children. Nothing Christ has said shall by any means hurt you. I give you power to trade on serpents and scorpions and all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. You know, when God wanted to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, what did he do? He sent angels to destroy the place. But then he wanted to rescue Lot. So when he, he told Lot, take your children, take your wife, take whoever you want to take with you and run from here until you reach that particular village that you have selected. I cannot do anything until you reach there. 
I cannot do anything until you reach there. It is the same thing in the end times. When God wants to finish the whole world, he will protect his children. And he will put a sign upon your forehead. And because you receive the sign by believing in Jesus, you will be spared. Hallelujah. So the question is, this God is good. We sang a song. He is good. He's good, isn't it? He's good. He's righteous. He's patient. He's just. He's just. Because he's just, it compels him to judge. Because he's merciful, because he's good, because he's loving, he sent his Savior Jesus into the world to save everyone who believes in him. Everyone who believes in him is going to save. There's no doubt about it. And he must judge. He must judge. Why? If he does not judge, he will be impartial. He will be partial. If his God is a God who is impartial, then he must judge to say one is right, another is wrong. If he doesn't judge, he will be partial. He will be partial, he will be blind, he will be uh, not merciful, he will, he will have to punish the good man along with the bad man or bless the bad man along with the good man, which is not right. That's the reason why, because he is impartial, he will judge. And the judgment is coming. And the judgment is coming. A child can bring disrepute to its parents. A spouse can bring dishonor by their unfaithfulness. The relationships are undividable bundle. When they are split, some damage happens to the relationship. The prophet is torn between these issues and is more concerned for the honor of God and reputation of the Lord. Verse 17, he says, Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? So when the end times come, when the punishment begins, when the destruction happens, if he destroys the good people with the bad people, they will ask, where is their God? That's the reason why he puts the mark on you so that you will be saved from the coming calamity. This is not a new concept. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 9, you see that God instructs the angel to go with the writing, fired by his side, he will go there. With few other angels, he goes there to execute it. Inside the temple, the Lord moves from the throne and to the threshold and he instructs him, go and put a mark on everyone who is unhappy with what he's seeing. When he sees, looks at the sin, he's unhappy. He's groaning in his heart. He's unhappy, he's dissatisfied with the sin in the community and he's groaning. When you are dissatisfied by the sin, when you're dissatisfied by the injustice, when you're dissatisfied by all these kind of things, you are groaning in your heart and you say, this is not right. And that angel will come and put a mark on your head. The word in the Hebrew that is used for the mark is the letter Tau, the last letter of Hebrew letter. And in the ancient Hebrew writing, the Tau looks like a cross. The Tau looks like a cross. Is that an accident? The Tau looks like a cross. You see in our uh, logo, you always see. What do you see in our logo, Omega Chess logo? You see two pieces of wood and a fire and you find a circle that is Omega O. Omicron, that stands for the O of the Omega. And those 
Wood is Tau in Hebrew. That's what we put there. Because he's the Alpha and the Omega. Alpha and the Omega. Because we are calling us Omega Church, we want to put the last letter of Greek alphabet, Omega, and the Tau, the last alphabet of Hebrew letter in the logo. That's why we put it there. But you will receive that Tau on your forehead when you believe in Jesus, the cross. And when the angel of death comes to execute judgment, he, because you believe in Jesus, he sees the cross, the mark on your forehead, you will be exempted from the execution. You'll be exempt from the punishment. So the forehead is naturally mentioned as being the most conspicuous part of man, as well as that which we are accustomed to regard as the noblest and the most vital part. The idea may be compared with that in Ezekiel 9, 4, and 6. It's remarkable too that the word in Ezekiel rendered mark is the, is the name of the Hebrew letter Tau, of which the ancient form was cross. Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 4. And the Lord said to him, Pass through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. When the sin is happening in the community, when it's happening in the city, if you're not disturbed by it, if you are not condemning it, if you do not detest it, you do not disapprove it, then something is wrong. Then something is wrong. And you are walking towards that place where you may miss being protected, being miss escaping the judgment. So we need to detest. Lot was tormented because he was a righteous man by the sin in Sodom. He was tormented. He didn't like it. He took a side with the angels. He gave shelter to them. He tried to protect them because he was not like the rest of the city. So the whole city was destroyed except Lot because he was tormented. He was unhappy. He was discontented by the sin in the city. So we need to have the same kind of a thing. We need to have the same kind of attitude. We should not like sin. We should not support it. We should not encourage it. We should not be cheerleading when somebody is committing sin. That's totally wrong. That's what we are also studying in the book of Romans, in the home group. Uh, we will invite you, everyone who is not coming, to come to the home group. Uh, we want everybody to come for one simple reason. When everybody comes, we cannot have in one house. We'll have to make two groups. So <laughs> that's our desire. We want to multiply. So those who are not coming, if you come, we'll have two groups. It'll be a great time to study the word. Because when you study the word, it really brings light into our heart and changes the perspective. It gives you power to resist sin and helps you to keep growing in, in God. So now look at the language of the prophet when he's talking about the coming locust. When he talked about locust, he was talking about the Babylonian invasion or Assyrian invasion, depending on the time when you put him in the, in the timeline in the Old Testament. So here you see that when, when he's talking about the day of the Lord, what is going to happen in his time, it, the message is true for his time and it's true for future time as well. So the prophecy is for now and for the future. The same way, 
that future we are now walking into is what he's talking about. That day of the Lord, he talks about it, it's close at hand. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was of old, nor ever will be in ages to come. He's talking about locusts. And you look at the language, <coughs> he says, it is spreading across the mountains. A large and mighty army comes. See, billions of locusts will rise up. When a locust invasion happens, it is not one or two locusts. How many of you have heard the sound, something different when you stepped out of your car this morning? One hand. Anybody? Two, three. What is the sound you heard? Pardon? Cicadas? Yeah, cricket, whatever the insect. So, so many insects are sitting on the tree. When you open the door of your car, you hear the sound. That is nothing compared to the locust invasion. Multiply them by a million times. That much sound is going to create. It will be like an aeroplane or a thousand aeroplanes flying over your head because billions of them are going to rise up jump and travel across and they are going to cover the whole mountain when the sun, sun is rising the sunlight is going to fall upon the locust and it will flash like a lightning it flash like a lightning because they all have shiny bodies the light falls on them it will be reflected and they don't have a leader do they have a leader does it give marching orders everybody put your left foot forward Right foot, left foot, anybody going to say? No. Locusts do not have a leader, but they walk and they don't, they don't, they jump, but they don't clash with each other. They don't hit each other. They don't run into each other. They have the beautiful harmony, but they do only one thing destroy whatever comes in its path, sting anyone who comes in the path. Have you been bitten by a cricket or any insect anytime? And imagine in the future, in the book of Revelation, what is talked about, that scorpion, the locust is going to bite, it is, the bite is going to be like a scorpion bite, and it will torment for six months. But if you believe in Jesus, God will protect you. He will not allow you to suffer it. I don't know how much time I already have come through. Oh, we have a clock here today. That's good. That's very good. So, before them, fire devours. Behind them, a flame blazes. Before them, the land is like the garden of Eden. Behind them, a desert waste. Nothing escapes them. Before the locusts came, everything beautiful, green, like garden of Eden. And once they have walked through and look at it, everything looks like a desert. Because they have eaten everything green. Everything you chew up. Nothing, is, nothing escapes them. That means uh, it is uh, nothing escapes is like, like a battle. Once the battle is happening between two countries and the battle is over, what will be left behind? Broken houses, torn down houses, killed people, dead bodies. People, I mean, they loot. Whoever is winning, they loot everything and leave the whole place desolate. Just like the battle, the locusts are going to invade and finish off everything. Nothing escapes them. They have the appearance of horses. They gallop like cavalry with a noise like that of a chariot. They leap over the mountaintops like a crackling fire-consuming stubble, like a mighty army drawn up for battle. This is just 
the language, the, the, the prophet's language is so powerful. You know, the whole week I've been studying the passage, I'm still not through with it. There's so much more to dig out of the word. And it is really amazing. And then he says, you look, observe the words, in verse 3 it says, before them fire devours. Before them land is like the Garden of Eden. Again in verse 6, it says, at the sight of them, there is before them, nations are in anguish. Every face turns pale. When you hear about the news, about the end times, your face will lose color. It will become pale. In the morning you wake up and in your mobile or in your laptop or wherever you try to see the news, what has happened in the last night, you will be fear struck. Your face will go pale because of the news that you read. They charge like warriors. They scale wars like soldiers. They all march in line, not swerving from their course. They do not jostle each other. Each marches straight ahead. They plunge through defenses without breaking ranks. They rush upon the city. They run along the wall. They climb into the houses like thieves. They enter through the windows. Any gap is there, they will enter into the house. Any small gap. When I read it, I put a word here. They are unstoppable. The locusts are unstoppable. Nobody can stop it. It is going to be so devastating. They are focused and they are disciplined and thorough. When they do the job, thorough job. They leave nothing behind. They come, they invade, chew, eat, destroy, go. That's how it is going to be. Now, importantly, verses 10 and 11, this is where I want you to focus. Before them, the earth shakes, the sky trembles. Where is, where is the event happening? In Jerusalem, on the hill in Zion. Zion. But now the prophet switches from Jerusalem to before them, the earth shakes. The whole earth is talking about, not one city. The whole earth is shaking. The sky trembles, not one place. Whole of cosmos is trembling. The sun and moon are darkened. The stars no longer shine. That means it's the end time. He's talking about the future now. He has talked 3,000 years ago about what is going to happen in the future. We are waiting, to, waiting for that to happen. We are waiting for that to happen. And this end time is coming. The Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number. And mighty are those who obey his command. The day of the Lord is great. It's dreadful. Who can endure it? It is great and dreadful. Who can endure it? If you believe in Jesus, you can endure it. If you don't believe in Jesus, it's a dreadful event. You'll be afraid. There's a, there's a place where in, 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 in Matthew chapter 24 or 25, Jesus talks about it. When he appears, he's coming very soon. When he appears, people are going to be so much fear struck. Those who do not believe in him, they are going to be so fear struck. They'll take hold of everything. They'll take hold of pillar and say, fall on me because I don't want to face Jesus. They'll talk to the mountain and hill, fall on me because I don't want to face Jesus. They'll tell the tree, hold the tree and say, fall on me, crush me, kill me because I don't want to see Jesus. It's going to be fearful, dreadful day, but only for those who don't have faith. If you believe in Jesus, we will be happy to look at him. Why? Because we are going to be changed and we are going to look like him. What a great hope we have. Hallelujah. So how do we prepare for that? 
ఐ నీడ్ టు ఫినిష్ ఇట్ ఇన్ ఫైవ్ మినిట్స్ నా లెట్ మీ సి ఈవెన్ నావ్ ఎవ్రీబడి సే ఈవెన్ నావ్ వాట్ ఈస్ ఈవెన్ నావ్ వాట్ ఎవర్ హ్యాస్ హ్యాపెన్ డోంట్ వరీ నావ్ ఈవెన్ నావ్ డిక్లేర్స్ అ లాడ్ రిటర్న్ టు మీ విత్ ఆల్ యువర్ హార్ట్ విత్ ఫాస్టింగ్ అండ్ వీపింగ్ అండ్ మౌనింగ్ రెండ్ యువర్ హార్ట్ అండ్ నాట్ యువర్ గవర్మెంట్స్ the the jewish people whenever they are in grief if somebody dies they want to pray or whatever they tear their clothes put some ash on their head and tie a sackcloth and sit in ashes to express grief that they are very sad that they are very down and they are emotionally going through a rough time to express it they do it tear their clothes if suddenly you are walking and somebody comes and gives you a bad news you will pull your clothes and tear it as an expression of grief god is saying don't tear your clothes what should you tear your hearts rend your hearts pull it apart and repent of your sin why return to the lord your god for he is gracious and compassionate slow to anger abounding in love and he relents from sending calamity this is the character of god for generation to generation this has been the character of god when you base your life on the character of god you will not be ashamed when you base your life on the character of god you will be blessed not cursed when you base your life uh, base your life on the character of god you will have hope but no, uh, not uh, a disappointment so here you have this great god who is gracious compassionate slow to anger abounding in love and relents from sending calamity is god wanting to punish everybody no he doesn't want to but if somebody says i don't care for you god i don't like you then he will you, he will punish you so there's an option for us to believe in jesus and be saved who knows he may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing grain offering and drink offering for the lord your god so this thing he talked about in chapter 1 there is no grain offering there is no drink offering for the lord your god in chapter 1 and now he says if you repent he may leave that grain offering and the drink offering what does it mean if you don't have money you cannot give to the church if there is no money in the church that means you don't have money so if there is money in the church that means you have money do you get my point so the temple says the temple priests if they have bread to offer and drink offering to offer to the lord that means people have the grain and the drink because they have it they bring it to the lord to the temple and then there will be something in the temple to offer to god as a sacrifice what i'm trying to say here is your life is intricately connected with god your faith in god if you have faith in god god will bless you when god blesses you you will bring an offering to god and because you bring an offering that means you have plenty if you have very less how can you give if you have only one loaf of bread and you got four people to eat can you take two slices and give to somebody no no i got four people to feed you will say but you got more than one bread you can say oh, i have more have some for yourself so if you love god and worship him and he will bless you he blesses you and you give to him and he'll bless you again i'm not trying to preach prosperity gospel here but remember nobody god will let you go without blessing when you bless him when you give to him he blesses you this is natural 
This is natural. If it doesn't happen, something is wrong. Something is wrong. In my life, I've experienced it. In today's terms, the money I used to make when I got my first job was only $10 a month. That's about 40, 40 plus years ago. Today's $10, that's what I used to make 40 years ago. Maybe it is a little more those days compared to the value of the money at that time. Maybe $100, whatever. But not big money. But because I gave when I had less, I gave. Even when I was giving tuitions and making money from different people, 10 people had to give, contribute to make my living. And from the little I received, I learned to tithe. Give back to God. Because that shows you're grateful to God for what he's doing for you, the blessing he's giving you. And then he gives you more. Somebody can say, does God need money? He doesn't need money. But his work has to go on in this world. Gospel has to be preached. And for that needs to be sustained. Those efforts have to be sustained. So you have to pray and give where you need to give. And God will guide you where you should give. Next, blow the trumpet in Zion. Verse 1, again we are already talked about it. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the assembly. Now who are to come and fast and pray? When you declare a holy fast in the church, who has to come? Look at the list of people. Gather the people. Consecrate the assembly. That means everybody. Bring together the elders. Gather the children. Bring the elderly people. Bring the children for fasting and prayer. Those nursing at the breast. Even the little babies who are feeding on, on the mother's milk. They let them come to the prayer meeting. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. It doesn't ex I mean, exempt even those who are having a great time. When a man is newly married, he, you cannot tell he's sad. <laughs> if you say, if you find a, I mean, a groom who is sad, that something is wrong with the marriage, the, the start off. And the bride and the groom, they have to come for the fasting and prayer. So what, what is God trying to say here? There's nobody who's exempt from seeking God. You need to come to God in fasting and prayer. You have to repent and come to God. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priest who minister before the Lord weep between the temple porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? When they look at your life, they should not say, where is their God? When they look at your life, they should not say, where is their God? I tell you, in, when I was working in a factory, there was a man who is a believer. And there was a guy who was a Buddhist. And both of them got married. But they couldn't bring their wives immediately because you, you had to go through the process. You had to apply and then you had to bring them on visitor visa. Then you had to apply for uh, a resident visa and then you became a citizen and all that. So the Buddhist guy, he applied and within three or four months, six months, the wife was here. And this man who was a believer, he also applied. But it was delayed by one year, one and a half year, it was taking longer. So the Buddhist guy says, hey, I don't believe in your God. But my wife came sooner. Your wife is not here. <laughs> this is how he was looking at him and saying, what is happening to your God? Is he not helping you? So the point I'm trying to make is, let our life speak louder. Because you believe in God. And afterwards, when his wife, the, my friend's wife came, it happened in such a way that first he receives a call from the immigration saying, hey, you need to provide A, B, C. 
three things before you process your application. But that night, God said to him, I'm releasing the visa for your wife to come. And after he hears God speak to him, the call comes from immigration saying, you need to provide documents A, B, and C. And he looked at the Lord in his heart and said, Lord, you told you already released it. And now the immigration says, I need to provide A, B, and C. That means it's not happening now. What's really happening? As soon as he said that, one more call he gets from immigration saying her visa is granted. So when, when things are delayed in a believer's life, they, that is to strengthen your faith. When things are delayed in your life, that is to make you strong. When things are delayed in your life, that is to test you, whether you continue to believe God in spite of these things. But for an unbeliever, there's no testing. Like your story. Like your story. Amen. <laughs> So that is how God wants to do things in your life. And we need to open our life in such a way that... So does it mean that Christians will not suffer? Does it mean Christians will not suffer? Jesus says, They shall persecute you and kill you. Ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endureth the end shall be saved. When we believe in Jesus, you will be persecuted. But this difference between this persecution and the end time persecution. This persecution is, will test your faith, will purify your faith, will make you strong, will, will bring like a gold is refined. Time after time you put through the fire, you melt it and uh, remove the dross. Again you put it into the fire and you melt it. Seven times you do it, seven times. The seventh time comes out more pure gold. Your faith will be tested to make you pure, to make you uh, more honorable, to, uh, to make you shine better. But the end times persecution is different. That is against ungodliness. That is judgment against God. If you believe in Jesus, you, God will put a mark on your forehead and that sting will not come to you. That scorpion bite will escape. That torment will escape. And God will not allow you to suffer because you believe in Jesus. Hallelujah. hallelujah. Let's shout hallelujah. hallelujah. Stronger one again. Hallelujah. Amen. Shall we pray? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, Jesus. We worship you. We honor you. Holy are you, Father. Holy are you, Jesus. Holy are you, Holy Ghost. We fall at your feet. We worship you. We praise you. We honor you. We thank you because you loved us and you came into the world so that we may escape the judgment. We thank you for the end times we are in. I pray that your hand will come upon each one of us right now. And those who hear this message, may hand come upon them. Strengthen their heart to believe in you. And Lord, make them strong. So that Lord Father, in the end times we will not deny you, but we'll confess your name. And then when we confess your name, you will confess our name before the Father. We thank you, Jesus, for your love for us. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Ghost who dwells in us, who speaks to us, who comforts us, who encourages us, who heals us, who delivers us. Oh, we thank you for you. You are so great and awesome, God. We worship you. We thank you because we can know him by faith. We thank you, Lord, for touching our hearts. And I thank you for the mark you put on our foreheads because you believe in the name of Jesus. We thank you for the mark of tau on our foreheads. And that will, that, will, that will not allow us to suffer. We praise you, O oh God. You are going to judge the world, but you are going to save us who believe in you. We worship you. We bless your name, O oh God. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
Thanks for joining us at Omega. If you need prayer for healing or breakthrough, or simply to find out more, please head to our website or Facebook page in the links below.